uh, stand in honor of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Patrick and uh, the great ministry that you have given him here at New City. We thank you for his gifting as a teacher and his heart for your truth. And we pray this morning that you would uh, settle his spirit, that you would lessen his voice and magnify your own, and that you would give us the eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brandon. Uh, good morning, New City Church. Um, it is a, a joy and an honor and a privilege to, to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, I don't think I can escape this joke, but I've had a few people come up to me already and say, today's July 17th. Why, why are you preaching? And if you're newer with us, I am the student ministry director here, so, so my time to shine on stage typically comes on July 4th or New Year's, but uh, I'm just going to go with the narrative that my status is growing here at the church, and I'm no longer on the holiday preaching schedule. But I did, I did look it up. Today is National Peach Ice Cream Day, so after church, I hope everyone will enjoy some, some peach ice cream. Um, but uh, before we get started, I'd I just like to pray for us one more time. Um, just ask God to meet us here, God, uh, ask God to, to meet me here and you here as well. So, uh, Father, we, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for just your goodness in our lives, Father. And I, I, um, I admit that what Brandon said is true, Father. I, I am just a little nervous this morning. I, I'm scared that the words, um, that your words would, would hurt or would offend people, God. I'm, I'm scared that I might misquote something, Father, but I pray that your truth would, would overcome that, God, that your truth would be uh, just proclaimed loudly this Sunday morning, Lord. So we thank you just for um, your rich mercy and your, your rich grace in our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, Luke Banner, he shared a message with us about what it means for us to, to proclaim the truth as believers. And next week, Carte Bales is sharing a message about what it means to love our enemies. And sandwiched in between those two passages, Jesus gives us these four verses, these four Old Testament verses that we see again that were often misquoted, often misused, that he's addressing again. It's this idea of an eye for an eye, an idea of a tooth for a tooth. It can be found in Exodus 21, Deuteronomy 19, and Leviticus 24. And the, the kind of the big idea of that is that the punishment should fit the crime. If you hit me, it's only fair that I get to hit you back. If you, if you steal something from me, it's only fair that I get something of yours that's of equal value. The problem with, with that kind of thinking is that this law 
originally given in Exodus was given to the judges in Israel and how they could demonstrate civil justice. It was never intended to be this one-on-one interpersonal kind of punishment kind of relationship, but that's exactly what it became. This law, it got so twisted that people began thinking, I have the power to legislate this justice to other people. I have the power to do this by myself. And they stopped going to the courts about it, but they started legislating it themselves. So you can only imagine how twisted this law got. And uh, what we see here is that this law that was meant to legislate justice really became a law about exacting personal revenge. So just like we've seen as we've been trekking through the Sermon on the Mount, so much of what we think uh, about the Sermon on the Mount is, is our physical acts, but Jesus wants to go a little bit deeper. Jesus wants us to know how can we, how can we have this Exodus 21, this eye for an eye mentality? How can we really put that to the heart level? How do we apply this Exodus 21 to the heart level? So as we dig into the scriptures today, this kind of where we're going with this is this idea of, of personal retaliation this idea of personal justice, this idea of personal vengeance. So when I was younger, my brother and I, we used to play, uh, we used to play baseball every day in the summer, one-on-one baseball. It made, it made no sense, but there was, there was one pitcher, there was one batter, and we used a, a hockey net as, as the catcher. So what we would do is we would just imitate whoever was pitching for the Braves that day and whatever the lineup was. And on this particular day, I was pitching. So I... I pitch the ball, you know, I'm, I'm better than my brother at baseball. So, of course, you know, I, he swings and it gets past him. And if you've ever seen the movie Dodgeball, one of the famous quotes from that movie is, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Well, in this instance, it was, if you can dodge an aluminum bat, you can dodge a ball. So I, I throw the ball, my brother swings, he lets go of that bat, and I just see this aluminum bat coming straight for my head, and it hits me right here. So... I'm out, I'm on the ground, I see my brother running towards me. And as any good brother would, he gets down on the ground and he goes, Patrick, please don't tell mom and dad. (laughs) So obviously my natural instinct is, I grab the baseball bat and it's time for me to exact my revenge on my brother and hit him with this bat as well. It's an eye for an eye, it's only fair. It's natural. We think that way. If some kind of wrongdoing is done to us, we have the power to exact that kind of vengeance or retaliation on someone else. This is obviously kind of a a funny story or a funny example. But what what about more serious instances? I think we kind of see this in our world today with, you know, the growing kind of idea of, of cancel culture right? You, you see if someone posts something or says something that you disagree with, that person is, you know, they're going to get mocked and ridiculed like you've never seen before online. If you agree with a certain movement or agree with a certain person, you might be labeled as, as, a, as a socialist, as, as a Marxist, or you might be too woke to be a part of another group of people. The amount of hate in this world is unbelievable. I think we all know what I'm talking about here, but it's part of that 
that vengeance that we seek. It's all part of that retaliation, that justice that we're personally seeking in our lives. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 94. He says, O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Church, it is, it's our natural tendency to seek justice. It's our natural tendency to seek retaliation. It's our natural tendency to seek vengeance. But what if I told you Jesus has a completely new way of telling us how to live? That these three things might not be ours to give out to the world. So that's our big idea for the day is that the punishment should fit the crime. But because of the saving work of Jesus, we receive mercy. We are able to extend it to others. So our first main point this morning is this, is to overcome evil with good. So before we really get into, into the scripture here in Matthew chapter five, I wanna set up just kind of the context of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is gonna give us four specific commands about how we're supposed to react if someone, if some kind of injustice is, is given to us or some kind of wrongdoing is, is done to us. And the way that we are supposed to react is very radical. It's, it's a way that people have not seen this kind of living yet. And one of the most important things that we can do for these four verses is to put ourselves back into first century context, kind of take ourselves out of this uh, current context that we're in. So the first command that we see Jesus say is, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So notice the specifics that Jesus uses here. He says specifically, if anyone slaps you on what cheek? The right cheek. Then turn to him the other off. So I want you to picture, don't actually do this to your neighbor, but I want you to picture someone in front of you. And I want you to picture, um, if you're right-handed, that you have to slap their right cheek. It'd be kind of hard, right? You have to kind of contort yourself into this angle. It's, it's, I've never seen anyone actually slap anyone like that. It's, it's an awkward kind of thing. It doesn't really make sense. So in this culture, it was specifically meant as a backhanded slap. That makes more sense, right? If someone's in front of you, a backhanded slap. I see Kiel and Charlotte trying to go after each other right now. Um, it's, a, it's a backhanded slap. And in this, in this culture, in this context, this was not meant to, to enforce physical harm on a person. It was meant more so as a very nasty, very disgusting kind of insult towards a person. So insulting, in fact, that if you got caught backhand slapping someone without merit, you just did it, that person could actually take you to court. And if you were found guilty, you would owe that person one year's wage. It's how insulting, it's how bad this backhand slap was for someone. Now, I want you to notice what this verse says because I think this verse can, can kind of get taken out of context sometimes. 
This verse does not tell Christians to be a doormat. This verse does not tell you if you are getting physically attacked, if someone hits you, you must let them continue to hit you. That is not what this verse is saying because remember, this verse was never intended to be a physical attack. This verse was talking more about a very derogatory insult to a person. Jesus is giving us a, a, an illustration of what it means to get really insulted by someone. So Jesus is saying, someone backhand slaps you, someone insults you in a very derogatory way. You don't have to take that person to court. Turn the other cheek. The second command, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. So again, in this context, uh, Jewish people typically had different layers to their clothing. They had an inner part of their wardrobe, which was their tunic. So again, if you are in court, and if you're in court again, you know, maybe you need to change your lifestyle a little bit, but you're in court again, and you get, you're, you're found guilty, and let's say you don't have enough money to, to pay back someone. The inner tunic was actually seen as almost like an IOU. If you don't have enough money to repay someone, you can give someone that inner tunic and say, hey, have this, borrow this from me. And while I can find more money or get money or find a different way to pay you, hold on to this while you can. Now the outer cloak, that was a different story. The outer cloak, this was a prized possession in a Jewish family. I want you to remember the story of Joseph. He was given this, this outer cloak this beautiful robe from his father, one that had many colors, one that made his brothers really, really jealous. It was a prized possession for this family. It's a prized possession for a Jewish household. Jesus says, if someone takes your, out, your inner tunic, give him your outer cloak as well. The third command says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. So again, context is everything. This doesn't mean, you know, you're on the first century cross-country team and coach tells you, go run one mile, you run two miles. That's not what this is saying. So in this time, there was a law that a Roman soldier, if he saw a Jewish person over the age of 12 years old, could tell them to stop whatever you're doing, take my stuff, and you are legally bound to take that for one mile. Imagine how misused, how abused that law must have been. Me, I hate getting interrupted. I hate when my schedule gets disrupted. I can't envision myself being late for work and on my way to work, someone tells me, hey, you have to go walk all my stuff one mile. Think about the, the anger that you would have inside. Think about just how unfair that law is. Jesus says, don't argue, don't complain, don't get angry, go the one mile, and then go another mile with that. And the fourth command says, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This one's pretty simple. There's this idea of generosity. We all know the command in our hearts, but it's very hard for us to give generously in our, in our hearts. So, you know, just to, to give things away. It doesn't say give everything away, but I like what Augustine says here about this passage. He says, give to everyone that asks, not give everything to him that asks. So Jesus is telling us to give, but what I find interesting 
is that when we think about giving, when we think about generosity, I think we typically think about finances. We typically think about possessions, but I think Jesus is, is even going a little bit deeper here. We see in the three commands above, he does say, give away your, your possessions, give away your things, that, that outer cloak that is such a prized possession. Let's give that away. But maybe he's telling us to give, to yield certain other things. You know, what does it look like to yield the ability to be right? What does it look like if someone backhand slaps you and insults you and you, you're right, you can take them to court. Jesus says, you don't have to do that. Maybe you can yield the ability to be right. Jesus is saying, maybe yield your, your time. Yeah, it's very, I, I don't wanna walk a mile with someone's stuff and then have to go an extra mile. Maybe you have to yield your time. If someone asks you to do that, you're angry. Maybe Jesus is saying, yield your emotions. Maybe anger isn't the first thing that's supposed to come up in our hearts. These, these, these commands that Jesus give us, that, that eye for an eye argument, it completely flips upside down with what Jesus has just told us to do. And perhaps justice, perhaps vengeance, perhaps retaliation, maybe it's not what we really think it is in this world. Maybe Jesus has something to say about what that looks like. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14 through 21. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, if we still lived with this eye for an eye mentality, then verse 21 should read something like this, overcome evil with more evil. But Jesus completely changes that narrative for us. His overarching command for us is to overcome the evil of this world with good. So what John Calvin has to say about this, he says, he, Paul, commands here that however grievously we may be injured, we are not to seek revenge, but commit it to the Lord. But he prohibits here not only that we are not to execute revenge with our own hands, but that our hearts are also not to be influenced by desire of this kind. Though it be not indeed lawful for us to pray to God for vengeance on our enemies, but to pray for their conversion, that we may become friends, Yet if they proceed in their impiety, what is, it to what is it to happen to the despisers of God will happen to them? What an incredible and radical way of thinking. What an incredible and radical way of living. So what does Paul mean to overcome evil 
with good. Ultimately, I think what, what Paul is saying here is don't let other people's actions dictate your own actions and behaviors. Don't let the sin in other people's life produce sin in your life, but meet that sin, meet that hostility with the love of Christ. How often in our lives do we say, I only did that because so-and-so did that first. You know, I only did that because so-and-so put me in that situation first. So my three-year-old Haven, man, she gets so mad when she's playing with a toy and her little brother just kind of crawls around and, and takes something from her. She gets angry and she will cry. She will bite. She will push. She will cry. She lets the actions of her little brother dictate her own emotions, her own actions, her own behaviors. She's three years old, so it's, it's a little understandable. But for us, as we are being sanctified, what does it look like for Christ to rule and reign all aspects of our life? Our thoughts, our emotions, our behaviors, and our actions. If someone's sin can allow, you to, can allow you to act or behave a certain way, then certainly Christ's love can have the same exact effect. How can the love of Christ outshine the sin of the world? How can the, the goodness of Christ overcome the evil in this world? These verses, they're great signals in our hearts to see if we are walking in accordance with the word of God. So maybe ask yourself these questions straight from Romans 12. Are you living a life where you bless those who persecute you? Are you even being persecuted for your faith? Do you rejoice with those who rejoice or when something good happens to someone, is there a little animosity? Is there a little jealousy in your heart? Do you weep with those who weep? Are you a harmonious person? Are you a peaceful person? Are you overly prideful? Do you do things that are honorable to all people or perhaps just people that, that think the same way that you do? Do you give food to those who hunger or do you give a drink to those who are thirsty? Church, the world is gonna throw everything at us as believers. I mean, just think and look at how divided our world is today. Every issue in the world seems to drag us farther and farther apart. It's the world, it's the way that the world is currently operating. But Christ has called us to a higher standard of living. It's called us to a higher way of thinking. It's a way where we are living in a harmonious and peaceful way, even with those who disagree with us, even with those who persecute us, even with those who may think differently than us, even for those who may harm us. We are so tempted to live like the rest of the world. We are so tempted to respond to that social media post that you know is wrong and it's, it's against what God is saying. We're so tempted to prove those people wrong. We are so tempted to retaliate to people if some kind of injustice is done to us. But what would it look like for us to live the way that Christ has called us to? A life 
where we don't seek retaliation if we're insulted, a life where we yield our emotions and we seek to overcome the evil of this world with good. It would look like a world where people are pursuing peace and harmony with those around us. In 1 John, we see John tell us, he says, church, don't love the world. Don't be like the world. Don't live like the world because when we treat our enemies with love, when we go the extra mile, when we turn the other cheek, we are displaying the grace of God in our lives to the rest of the world. We are seeing the Holy Spirit at work in our lives and we are not being conformed to the world any longer, but we are being transformed by the renewal of our minds like Paul was, like he says in the beginning of Romans chapter 12. So the million dollar question is how do we do this? How do we live this kind of life? How do we turn the other cheek? How do we go the extra mile? And in the most Christian-like Sunday school Bible study answer, what I can tell you is we can't do it apart from Jesus. We cannot live this life apart from Jesus. It is impossible for us to turn the other cheek. It is impossible for us to yield our emotions apart from Jesus because sin has tainted your heart, sin has tainted my heart, and sin has tainted humanity as a whole so badly. There's only one person who did this perfectly, and that person is Jesus. So that's gonna be our second main point today is that Jesus is our ultimate source of overcoming the evil in this world with good. So I want us to remember the four commands that Jesus gave us um, in the beginning of uh, Matthew chapter five. And Julius Kim, the, the president of uh, the Gospel Coalition, lays out this beautiful illustration of how Jesus, he never came to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law and how he perfectly fulfills these four commands of Matthew 5 and Matthew chapter 27. So the first command, remember, is if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 27 through 30, we see this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. Jesus Christ, our King, Jesus Christ, our Savior, he was mocked and insulted like we have never seen before. He did not stop them, but in fact, he turned the other cheek and allowed himself to be insulted, allowed himself to be mocked, allowed himself to be ridiculed on our behalf. The second command, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 31. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe. And this is the second time they've stripped Jesus now. They put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Jesus, our King, Jesus, our Savior, allowed himself to be stripped of his clothing, 
two times, did not stop them, but allowed these people to do that on our behalf. The third command, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. We continue in Matthew 27, verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. So Jesus, after being mocked, insulted, stripped of his clothing, these, Jewish, or these Roman soldiers, they see a Jewish man over the age of 12 years old, and they say, carry this. So Jesus carries a cross for as long as he can go, does not stop, goes as far as he can until a man named Simon is compelled to carry the cross for him. Jesus, our Lord, does this on our behalf. And the fourth command, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 says, and Jesus cried out again and with a loud voice, he yielded his spirit. So after hours of being on the cross, Jesus, our King, Jesus, our Savior, the Savior of the world, gives up everything. He yields his spirit on our behalf. And church, when Christ yielded his spirit, when Christ had the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders, for us, it broke the chains of sin and death for all believers in this world. See, because now as we see throughout the rest of the gospels, as we see in Acts, God has poured his spirit out on every single believer in this world, which now gives us the power to turn the other cheek. It gives us the power to give abundantly. It gives us the power to go the extra mile. It gives us the power to overcome the evil in this world with the blood of Jesus. I know for many of you, Maybe kind of hard to, to sit with this. Because as we said earlier, retaliation, vengeance, justice, it's so natural for us to, to think of these things. I want to remind you again of, of Romans chapter 12, verse 19. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. This means that when you love your enemies and they don't repent and receive the blessing of your love, evil is not going to triumph. At the end of the day, God's justice will still triumph. God will win at the end of the day. I will repay, says the Lord. You don't need to be the judge, church. God is the ultimate judge. And at the end of the day, this battle is already won. Listen to these words from John Piper. He says, one of the reasons it's hard to love our enemies is because it feels like we're letting them get away with murder. Nobody gets away with murder or anything else. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. Hand vengeance over to God. Don't think justice won't be done. It will be done. All sins will be punished either on the cross for those who repent 
and you can't improve upon that punishment or in hell for those who don't repent and you can't improve upon that punishment. At the end of time, God will avenge all those who are oppressed. And I urge you to have that mindset that this battle is already won through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So church, for us, the punishment, it should fit the crime. Our punishment was death. Our crime was sinning against a holy and perfect God, meaning we should not be able to have a relationship with him. But Jesus made a way for us. Through his death on the cross, we receive mercy that we never should have received. And because of that, our punishment no longer fits the crime because Jesus took it on for us. And because we receive this mercy, we are able to extend it to others by word and deed. So I want to close with this story. Um, you, guys might be, you guys might be familiar with it. Um, in September of 2018, a young man by the name of Botham Jean was, he was shot and murdered in his apartment. Um, and what kind of what happened was a woman named Amber Geiger, who was with the Dallas PD, just got off a shift and uh, she went into Botham's apartment and she thought accidentally that it was her apartment. So she opened the door and she thought Botham was intruder and fatally shot him. So when she realized it wasn't her place, she called the police and Dallas PD. Uh, they, they got to the scene and they, they desperately tried to revive Botham, but they couldn't. So of course, this, this made national news and, and it, was, it was the top of every media headline. And there were protesters on both sides calling for vengeance, calling for justice to be done. But it was the words of Botham's brother, Brant, that put both sides completely on pause. So listen to the words of Brant as he's on the witness stand speaking directly to Amber Geiger, the woman who accidentally killed her brother. He says, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't know, I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself and not on behalf of my family, but I love you just like anyone else. I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. I don't wish anything bad on you. And he finishes, I don't know if this is possible, but he asked the judge, can I give her a hug? Please, please. Church, radical love, radical forgiveness, that does not come from the world, but rather it comes from the one source and that is Jesus Christ himself. And for us as, as believers, this is, this is a call for us to, to imitate Christ and what he's done for us, but it's, it's a little bit more than that. It's, it's a call for us to trust Christ for our own salvation 
And then in the hope of that salvation, in our joy of that salvation, in our assurance of that salvation, show it to others by the way that we live. That we are, by our actions, supposed to point people to Jesus as the only ransom from their sin. We can't do anything to pay for the debts of those people. It is only what Jesus did on the cross, and that is what we are supposed to do. That is what we are called to do as a church. So church, the, the Gene family, they overcame evil with good, with the hopes that others would know and follow Jesus. So I wanna ask you this question. Will you, with the power of the Holy Spirit, turn your cheek the other way if insulted? Will you give away your metaphorical cloak? Will you go the extra mile when you don't want to, when you're angry, when you know it's not right? In church, will you overcome the evil in this world with good, with the hopes that other people will know and follow Jesus, the one and true source of life? Let's pray. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.